0: This is a Podcast Now Production. I drank some mouthwash. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm really, and I got into my car to drive across the island to take one for the team. And I got to his office fully prepared to record a podcast. Everybody, come on, move on. Fully Prepared with Andy King.
1: You can be in a massive house, in a gorgeous place, and if you haven't got your shit together and things aren't where they should be for you emotionally, it, it means fuck all.
0: Yeah, but who's driving that ship, Sam? It's the publicists and the agents. It's not really them. Someone is saying, geez, you know, hey, you need to back it off with Andy a little bit right now because, you know, until he, like, comes back into the press in a hugely positive way, not sure he's the best one for you to be kind of aligning yourself with.
1: I dated guys up until being 30 and then started dating women, and actually, Dating women shifted my perspective massively because I'm a gay woman. I'm in a position of power. I have other women working for me. And so now I'm in a position to ask myself, would I deem that to be appropriate behavior? Even when the shit is hitting the fan, I always sleep. I've always said this, like my response to stress is to go to sleep. Like my body is wired really well. It's like, okay. There's a lot of stress going on at the moment. The best thing you can do right now is have a nap.
0: I've managed to, and I feel like you're the same, I came out when I was 35 years old, and I, I I, held back for as long as possible, and then I finally just said, the hell with this, you know? And I found that my making myself openly gay was very powerful.
1: When did I have to take a big one for the team? Oh.
0: Oh my gosh, I am so excited to welcome everybody to Fully Prepared today with Andy King. And what I'm most excited about is to introduce my new good friend, Sam White. How do we describe Sam? All right, Sam. All right. First of all, we're talking to Sam. She's in London. She is an amazing individual, exuding incredible energy and brilliance every day in so many different areas. And... We clicked together very recently and I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today, Sam. How you doing?
1: Oh well, I'm better now, you just describe me in all of those wonderful <laughs> ways. Apart <laughs> from the fact that I'm actually in Cheshire and not London, but I I do spend an awful lot of time in London, so I'll take that, Andy. But I, I would like you to follow me around on a general basis just saying lovely things about me to make me feel fabulous, which I suspect you're extremely good at. Like you you are the ultimate oh. kind of <laughs> lifter-upper aren't you
0: well Sam it's it is my job obviously to be the ultimate team player and one of the things (laughs) that obviously you and I've clicked about so beautifully is um first of all I mean a renaissance woman Sam when someone says tell me about Sam White in two sentences what do you say
1: um a or three. noisy <laughs> two sentences. I, I generally say a gobby northerner, to be fair. I don't even need two <laughs> sentences. Um lots of trouble, usually fun.
0: Oh my gosh. Well, you're certainly bringing fun and coolness to the insurance industry. And here it is. Like, so you're a new your new deal, Stella, women run, women founded, and an insurance company for women. I love you forever for this. I mean, the financial world dominated by men, right? And of course, I always joke with all my friends and I'm like, where is this world where the men still don't understand? Like girls were always smarter in school. They were always more productive. They always got better grades, right? Where is it that you think that the men should be running every organization and not the women?
1: And did you know, do you actually, that, the, did you know that girls do better in single sex schools, but boys do better in mixed like statistically, like overwhelmingly so. So if you, if you have a daughter and you can afford to, the best thing you can do for her future is keep her away from boys for her formative years and then reintroduce them later <laughs> down the line. But boys do extremely well in a mixed environment. Um, look, you know, I've got um, – it probably doesn't surprise you that a lot of my mates are um, guys. You know, I've got a great group of right. male friends. And so I'm I'm trying not to be quite so scathing. I, I caught myself the other day. I keep using this expression "pale male and stale," which was the it, it, it kind of came about in the financial services industry to to kind of sum up what people saw when they they looked, they looked around. And and then I I kind of checked myself the other day and thought it's a bit mean spirited that, and it's probably not um, the best way to tackle the problem because the problem for me is that. There just isn't enough diversity full stop like and and that doesn't matter whether it's gender, sexuality, race, religion i I love people with different ideas, you know and and you don't get that if you just have one group of individuals in 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 space so the the idea behind Stella was a bit cheeky. It was just you know there is hardly any women in senior positions in the insurance industry, so there's a good chance that. Products aren't being designed with women in mind. Businesses aren't being built from sort of fundamental emotional principles that women might kind of align to. And so what would happen if we did that? You know, what what would happen if we started with a blank sheet of paper and said, how would a woman do this? And that was, you know, that was the idea behind Stella and it's, it's going really, really well. And, you know, I'm super excited to roll it out everywhere else. Um, Hopefully, eventually in the states as well. You're going to help me when we roll it out in the states. Oh
0: my god, I can't wait! I can't wait. But now let's talk. So, Sam, one of the things that you're gifted about, and I am too, and I feel like this is where we're kindred spirits, is talking about failure and how do you handle failure. And but what I know about you is all success, and especially you know, and and so many of your business endeavors. But um, what do you think? I mean. I get up on stage, obviously, and I say, listen, I'm one of the biggest failures in pop culture today. But you learn more from your failures than your your successes. And I think you and I've talked before about like, Wall Street doesn't like to talk about failures, and certainly Hollywood doesn't. But it happens every day, right? And get out there and take a risk. I mean, but why is it that I, you know, I, I won't lie. Like, I, I face it every day because of fire Festival. Where people will point. Some people get it and some people don't. And Some people say, oh, gosh, that's the scam guy, you know? I mean... What do you think, Sam, on the failure front? So, How do you embrace it, it? Yeah,
1: I've I've had loads of failures, by the way. Like, and, and you know, and mates have said to me, "Oh, everything you touched turns to gold," and I'm like, "No, it's just you don't see all of the litany of failures." Like, I love a new idea, I love a new concept, I love trying new things, and as a result of that, things fail liberally. You know, if you, if if I was to look at it on a percentage hit rate. I would say you probably have to do at least ten of the 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 failures and the fuck ups to get the one good thing in everything in life, whether it be relationships, friendships, you know, businesses, whatever. You have to stick yourself out there and keep that that net open, and you have to be prepared to take the arrows. I mean, my, one of my favourite poems is. Um, is the uh you know uh, in the arena the um the, it's not the ah you you know the one i'm talking about it's it's yes it's, yes. it's not the victor it's <laughs> is it roosevelt that teddy roosevelt oh, that yes yes shoot it, the yeah. arena I, and i it's just it's so true because it's so easy for people that have never tried anything or risked anything or to stand back and go oh, you know they did X, Y, Z, but if you're in there and you're, you know, you're sticking yourself through that that pain of of trying to make something happen that you know there's a, a good risk that it, it it won't, then then you are gonna you're gonna suffer defeats and you're gonna run the risk that people will point at you and and kind of make comments and and do whatever. But I I am I'm quite um, and I think you're the same and it's why we get on like. I, I honestly don't really give a fuck what people think of me, because right. my, my view is that people that love me know my intentions. They, they know what I'm about. And so I, if it was somebody that loved me, that had something to say about something that I'd done that had not worked, I, I, I would take that to heart. But most of the people that have criticisms for you are people that know absolutely nothing about you whatsoever. And so it's like, jog on, jog on. Yeah, it it really, it, it really doesn't matter.
0: Well, Sam, think about, I don't know what the statistics are, or the percentages. Think about the number of people that hate their fucking job and have always hated it and have been doing the same job. For 20 or 30 years, and they trudge themselves to work every day, and they just go through the motions, and they're miserable, but they're scared to take the risk, right? I mean, they're scared to fail, and often it's because they have so much riding on themselves, like educating children and supporting a family. And um, I mean, you name it, you know, you go down the list, but I feel for those people, and I think that you and I are like. The favorite guests at a dinner party because they're like okay what are you up to now what, what's going on yeah, like, funny you bring that up because you know what <laughs> well, here's what i got here's what i got they're like only you sam yeah only you but don't you feel sorry for those people i mean listen
1: you oh, and i have dear. plenty of sleepless
0: nights you yeah, know what? I don't. I, mean, I sleep I'm like sure. a
1: log. Even, even when the shit is hitting the fan, I always sleep. I've always said this. Like my response to stress is to go to sleep. Like my body is wired really well. It's like, OK, there's a lot of stress going on at the moment. The best thing you can do right now is have a nap. And I will literally just kind of conk out. Everybody hates it about me because, I mean, I've been through, you know, a couple of years during, during COVID, I nearly lost the lot. Um, you know, our, our business was seriously under fire. I couldn't get the government support loans. Um, the banks were absolute twats with me. I was scrabbling to survive. I was like way, there was a big gap between my overheads and and what I was bringing in. And at one point, I was just about to move into a house with my family and I'd scrabble together the deposit for, for, for the house after going through a, a very expensive and painful divorce. Um, so I'd scrabble this deposit together, and i needed i had to use the deposit to pay the wages the wage bill um for for the staff that month, and I didn't know if it was gonna kind of come back the other way and I still slept, <laughs> and my mates were like still slept. how are you how are you how are you even doing this? but the thing is, none of it means anything i you know i In 2010, I moved to Beverly Hills for two years and I lived on Mulholland Estate. So I'm, you know, I've got Tom Jones and Robbie Williams and Paris Hilton and Slash and Charlie Sheen all on this estate. And, you know, people go, oh, that's amazing. And it was amazing. It was like it was a random experience. It was one of those dinner party moments. What are you doing now? Oh, I've decided I'm going to move to Beverly Hills. I'm leaving the business and a couple of managers and everything's going to be fine. But you realise that it doesn't, it really doesn't mean anything. You can be in a massive house in a gorgeous place and if you haven't got your shit together and things aren't where they should be for you emotionally, it it means fuck all. And you can lose all of that and gain it back again and kind of bounce around. And, you know, actually that's the adventure, isn't it? That's That's the joy of life is to know that something completely wonderful could be right around the corner but along with that something really terrible could also be right around the corner so you might as well just have fun with it
0: boy well it sounds like good old Mulholland drive you got that I was up at that tennis club the Mulholland club right up at the top of the the hill and um because my my wonderful friend Janie Chase who's married to Chevy Chase so the Chases have a Uh, Have a house right up there, not far away, and um, we'd go up there to have lunch every once in a while, which is hysterical. What a crazy group! Well, then you know all the crazies in the states when you were living in that (laughs) neighborhood, right? I mean, you can't make it it up.
1: It was a real experience because at first, you know, I'm, I, I was, you know, it was so 2010, so it was, you know, it was a fair few years ago. So I was only 34, relatively young. Um And a girl from Stockport, do you know what I mean? I'm a comp girl and I'm suddenly living on this estate. And when I first drove through the gates, I was like, I've made it. Like, that's it, you know, I'm, I am a big deal now. I am living in this magnificent place. But as I say, over a period of time, you start to realize actually some of the people in that environment, they're, they're, not, ha- they're not having good lives in the way that I would say that you know, there were people on that estate that hadn't left the estate in six months. I got chatting to the the security guard one day and I, I used to, I was trying to set up a business. So I, I had like my really nice flash Porsche. And then I had like this, um, Parago four by four that was an absolute shitter. And I used to go out in the Parago cause I'd, I'd go out and see brokers in Compton and, you know, all sorts of places in California, which my business partners were like, you you really, sh- you're a blonde English woman. You should not be going down there. You're going to get shot. And I was like, no, no, no. Like, yeah, you know, I'll be fine. Everything. And it, I was absolutely fine. And everyone was absolutely lovely. But he said to me, you're one of the few people that ever goes out of the gates. Like, you don't understand these people. Everything's delivered to them. And I think you get to a certain point of wealth where people are so frightened that it's going to get taken off them or... Or to your point, actually, even with success, people talk a lot about fear of failure, but what about fear of success? People can become almost intimidated by their own profile and what they think other people think of them, that they have to become this untouchable thing that other people can just sort of guess about. And so suddenly you're locked in your own box, aren't it? You know, you've got all this freedom and all this money, but you, you can't do anything with it.
0: Well, it's sort of a, I mean, when I agreed to do the documentary with Netflix, um, it was always funny because my dad would always say, you know, no one watches documentaries and they don't make any money. Well, of course, (laughs) how did we know that Fire Festival documentary had become one of the most popular documentaries in Netflix's history? And what happened, of course, is that I lost my anonymity and I made that conscious decision because I said, you know what, I'm going to take this platform I'm going to try to drive positive change. I'm going to create different vehicles to maybe help change the trajectory of social media a little bit to make it less bashing and less mean and more positive and more like highlighting cool people doing amazing things on and on and on. But you can see where famous people and celebrities just fight with depression, where it's like there are times where you're like, I just want to. Not have people pointing at me at every restaurant, not pulling up videos yeah. and going, oh, that's the guy, you know, I don't, I just want to, be yeah. able to go out and not be criticized. I don't want, like, I don't need people to know exactly where I live and be whatever. And then there are days where it's like, oh my God, no one even looked at me today. No, I've, I've lost yeah, it yeah, like yeah, already. Yeah. Like no one even cares. It's like this weird, you know, and yeah. you, it's a d- difficult balance, right? That a lot of people go through. And I think that's sort of, you're right a fear of failure or a fear of success. I mean, in either direction, you're plagued. I feel, I mean, you think about so many of these actors who have, there it is, haven't left the gate in six months. They're not doing a movie right now. They're not doing anything. They have everything delivered in. They sit by their pool, they have friends come over but they don't go out in public because they're just They're just tired of it's, it. I'm and I, I get
1: it. You know, as human beings, you forget like, I was chatting to somebody about this today, actually, interestingly, because we were talking about you know how you get um, that level of clarity about who you are and what people think of you. And you think about normal people that aren't in the public eye. You have your mates that you've had for years or whatever, and most people aren't that honest with each other. Like, I've had friends of mine, because people consider me to be very direct and very honest, and I've had friends of mine say, We don't need to go to therapy because we have you. And I always say to them, "I'm I'm going to be really honest with you now, and say I am never going to be completely honest with you because I value our friendship. So any bits that I can see of you (laughs) that I think (laughs) that I think maybe you should (laughs) that you need a bit of help with, or you should take a look at, I'm not really going to challenge you on it because." You know, why would I do that? I want to still go out for drinks and whatever. And it doesn't really impact my life, those, those things, whatever those things may be. So I urge you to go to therapy because it's the only way that you will get some true reflection. I think the problem with being in the public eye is it's the worst kind of therapy in that you are instantly judged measured in you know attacked without any of the constructs of therapy which is by itself supposed to be confidential and you will have right. time to kind of work through the process so your whole kind of persona is is under scrutiny by everybody. And people are not kind, you know, they, they they because they don't give a shit. You're not one of their friends. You're not going out to dinner with them. It doesn't mean anything if I make some casual observation about Donald Trump or whoever. It, it You know, I don't know him. I don't have any relationship with him. So I can be cutting and scathing and, and make assumptions about about the, the kind of person that they are. And I think that's the thing that's that's really difficult. And I, I have so much sympathy for somebody like yourself, who's also, you've, you're trying to manage a, a shitty situation and make the best out of it. And I have the utmost respect for that because that's what life is all about to me is navigating you know the problems as best you can, and and swimming in the winds when when things go well. And I think for you to take such a what you know really probably was a very traumatic and stressful situation, and go okay, how how can I get the best out of this, and how can I turn it into something positive, is a, an incredibly rare skill. So you should be uh, you should be very proud of yourself for that one.
0: Yeah, oh, Sam, you're very kind. It's it's interesting because I never. You know, you always hear this PTSD. I've got PTSD. I'd never, ever really had a grasp on it until after fire. Talking about PTSD, it's like, oh, my word. And then I didn't even want to watch the documentary because I knew it was just going to freak me out of bringing back these emotions where there I was with, you know, 400 young kids working for me every day, tirelessly trying to make the impossible happen. And I would run these meetings and I'd be upbeat. And I would leave the meeting, finish it up, go out onto the deck of this big old place in the Bahamas and burst into tears. I would go, oh, my God, Jesus, can I do this? I'm going to do it. I, I got to keep doing this. Can't let everybody down. I'm not going to let everybody down. And I, you know, that was an amazing process to go through of like, wow, I mean, here you are trying to do the impossible and you're trying to support a big group and be the shining light. And how that gets misconstrued, you know, into a scam, well, that's part of what Billy created, but that it's fascinating now where COVID, obviously COVID wasn't on my side, being a big event planner and focusing on music festivals and large events and predominantly corporate events where corporations are still not having big conferences for 2,000 or 3,000 or 4,000 people. They may be participating in small ways, but, um, and what the world I feel like Especially good old Mulholland Drive and the and the hood, they're all waiting for me to come up with the next big success before they say I want I want to align myself with Andy again. Like they're all waiting, and they're you know I'm on I'm you know in, on text and with email and close relationships with a lot of Hollywood celebrities who have kind of backed off because they're waiting for me to be uh, you know up in the news creating some huge successful thing. And then they're going to go, okay, fine. Yeah, you no, know who's then I really want to driving. Yeah, but who's driving that ship, Sam? It's the publicists and the agents. It's not really them. Someone um, is saying, geez, you know, hey, you need to back it off with Andy a little bit right now because, you know, until he, like, comes back into the press in a hugely positive way, not sure he's the best one for you to be kind of aligning yourself with. I'm like, where? What? I'm just... I am just a regular person who got involved in a difficult situation and agreed to go public with it to kind of inspire people. As we said earlier, like get out there and fucking fail kids, go to work for a startup, do something that you're excited about. What's the worst thing that's going to happen? Well, you'll probably move back in with your parents. Well, everybody's been doing it anyway, so go for it. And if my parents were alive, I would have moved back in with them too, but they're not. (laughs) So, Hey, figure it, figure it out. But I think the risk-taking thing is interesting and the anonymity and I mean, you know, being, you know, a high profile person suddenly shifts things. And for you as a leader, we have to like, I mean, I joke about the me too movement, you know, and I'm always, I joked with you. I said, how about why me? Like, you know, (laughs) and there you are a woman running in a male dominated business, you know, running a company, based on focusing on women on and on and on you're like stepping through that threshold to say guys it's okay hey and i'm not the one going you know it's funny i was as a gay man it won't surprise you i was listening to a barbara streisand don't even ask on alexa the other day yeah i can't i can't I, I shouldn't be saying this it's so embarrassing but there it was and Barbara Streisand has this very popular song that i would completely forgot about from 30 years ago called He Touched Me. <laughs> but it's a beautiful song. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, what if that got released today? And, you know, it's, he touched me, you know, and my life was never the same, you know. Oh, my God, it was just, but it was beautiful. I'm like, well, why, you know, why couldn't the girls be playing that one? I don't know. I mean... What have you found in the workplace? Have you, from, a, I mean, from look, when I, you started I had working? My,
1: I had my shit. Every woman I know, every woman I know has a story. And, you know, it's a really complex issue because I, I think it starts with how we bring girls and boys up. And we need to teach girls to be um, more comfortable in asserting themselves and, and saying no like we teach girls to be good girls and you know to not raise a, a fuss and and uh, you know not cause any trouble and and that for me is where it starts and where you end up in 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 problems you know i one of the first business partners i had and i was i was probably a little bit naive to be fair but it was um it was a solicitor and i thought he was a real family guy you know he'd ne- he he'd never given me any indication that he was anything other than a great guy um and really into his wife and his kids and i took him on face value because i do take people on face value if you know if you seem like a good person and you 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 kind of um open up your your life to me or your your heart to me i'm going to i'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt but we had a night out um, he invited me to his sort of hometown and said, oh, let's all go out for drinks and blah, blah, blah. And um, We got to the nightclub and he'd obviously, he'd had a couple of drinks and he just turned really aggressive and and overtly sexual. And it really caught me off guard because he he literally grabbed my hair and kind of yanked me in, and thinking he was being all sort of Clark Gable esque. And look, I'm a fighter. I don't fuck around. And you know, my dad raised me to say no and to have boundaries in terms of where I'm comfortable. So I need him extremely hard in the groin, and he dropped like a, sock, a sack of shit in the club. And I was like, <laughs> "What?" What the hell do you think you're doing? And he was like, he was like deeply apologetic and, you know, and, and actually, and I know I'd, I'd probably be criticized for this, but I did carry on doing business with him. I just was very careful about, because I couldn't afford not to, like the business was, was very embryonic. He was one of the few clients that we had, and I wasn't in a position to say, I'm not dealing with you anymore because this is the behavior that you exhibit. But for, for me, of course, nobody should have to put up with that. It's not appropriate behavior. It's like, come on, we know you're like, this is not difficult stuff. <laughs> like, this is where I go like, men, sort your shit out. Don't behave inappropriately with people. Like people have sex every day. And if there's mutual attraction, it's just really simple, just ask is this okay? Would you also like to engage in this activity? And then if they, then go for your life, enjoy yourself. But it's, you know, to to just kind of pounce on somebody in an unsuspected environment in a nightclub, well, then, you know, you run the risk of being kneed really hard in the nuts. And I'm going to lose a a little bit of um, naivety and, and kind of faith in the universe. So, you know, both of us lose in that regard.
0: Sam, it's funny because you think about, it's usually women in the workplace, but then in the gay world, it's kind of fascinating too, from a male perspective where I think back, I was at university, um, I ended up, I won't name things, I don't want to name too many things, but I um, was interested in politics and I ended up uh, getting an internship at the governor's office of this of the state where I was at, at university and there was the governor's council members, and I was a big proponent of, the governor of of, of the state at the time had eight children, and I'm one of nine children, and we got along really well, and uh, he was an MIT professor. I mean, the guy was brilliant, but he had no people skills. So in comes Andy King, and I became one of, I was the intern for for his press secretary, but I helped run all the press conferences, and I loved it, it was amazing, and there were a lot of interns there, there were a few guys in politics that weren't married and there were some that were, but they would have these meetings once a month at the governor's mansion and then, and then at the state uh, capitol. And then there was the governor's hotel where everybody would stay for two or three days and there'd be big dinners and meetings all day and on and on. And it really wasn't until like the third meeting where I'm like, that kid, Alex, he got promoted twice in the last like month and a half. I mean... What is going on? You know, and it just started to register to me like, and it began, I started feeling weird pressure from some of these guys. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to stay at the governor's motel for three nights because I don't want people knocking on my door anymore saying, Hey, do you want to catch a drink? I don't, you don't need to be, I don't need to be touched. Like I'm just going to do my job. And so I was able to like work through in my mind, but boy, did I learn even in the political world that that gay underground, oh, you want to get promoted, you want to rise up, you want to blah, 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 You know, talking about taking one for the team, I'm like, oh, my word. Well, I ended up taking a job right out of university with a firm, and um, I went in as an intern, and then I became top producer of this firm. And um, the boss would come in every day, and we were both um, from the, the similar areas and on and on and on, and he was probably 15 years older than I was. And every day he'd walk by... And he'd pinch me in the crotch as he walked by. And I'm like, oh my God, are you kidding is... me? Like what is going, but I'm like, okay, no problem. And then there'd be some days he'd say, hey, I like your tie. And I said, oh, thanks, it's my grandfather's tie. It's a vintage. He'd say, I want it on my desk at the end of the day. Don't let me down. I'm like, wow, oh, okay. Um, you, see, you know, all these it, things it, it are constantly kind of... manipulating me. I had no it's idea. He was manipulating me every day.
1: Yeah. It's power and and control. I mean, so,
0: and to this day, I'm like, wow, like at least I knew afterwards. I'm like, ain't right. That wasn't right. You know? And I was always like the prince. I was the prince of the organization. No one could touch me though. He touched me every day. And I put up with it. I was like, but I did have boundaries where it was like, I never slept with a guy. I never, you know, on and on, but it was still this little manipulating thing every day. I'm like, wow, you know, this is how the crazy world works. Whether you're so in politics I, I, I or, think or in business, I used
1: to justify. I used to justify it a lot. Um, when so, I was I dated guys up until being thirty, and then started dating women. And actually, dating women shifted my perspective massively because I'm a gay woman. I'm in a position of power. I have other women working for me, and so now I'm in a position to ask myself would i deem that to be appropriate behavior and it's a, you know unequivocally absolutely not and you start to realize when you ask yourself the question would you walk past your intern and grab his crotch of, of course you wouldn't because it's wildly inappropriate just from a human to human basis it like the, the the idea of of some of the behaviors that i witnessed or was subjected to when i was younger it's like the The idea of ever behaving like that towards another human being is absolutely abhorrent to me, so you you can then kind of go ah oh, these these guys know they they absolutely do know they just they're just seeing what they can get away with that guy was seeing what he can get away with, and even asking about the tie was was a you know it, it's a subtext it's yeah. if i if I ask for something that you really care about. Like, how far can I push this? How far can I push this? Because that then tells me how far I can push you. And the fact that there's people that think like that and are in positions of power and, you know, wandering this planet, often, you know, superbly successful, really pisses me off. Because <laughs> it's like, it's not okay. It's, you know. You
0: know, and I, I feel, listen, I was a headhunter placing sales and marketing managers and sales and marketing directors. And I did that for probably 10 years. And, and I was really good at it. But at the end of the day, I'd say to so many different candidates, I'd say, you know, it's the job search is really who, you know, in luck and timing for the really good jobs. And if you can make the right contact, you're in. And if you're being referred by the right people, you're in. And, You know, it's difficult. I can't imagine. I mean, for kids coming through schools today and and entering the workforce, I don't, I, I, it's mind boggling to me. Like, I just think, I say to people, listen, find something you love, the money will follow. But often it doesn't follow as, as much as you might want. But then I say, well, adjust your lifestyle. And if you really want to do something, don't pick the most expensive place to live and find a teeny house that you love and a cool bike you love to ride and gardens you love you know but it's a, I, I, I can see now where what happened to you and i years ago more me you know in the workplace wouldn't work today at all right i mean or does it it must be still happening i don't know i don't know i
1: think it's still happening i honestly think it's still happening and i think you know the media certain factions of the media are quite clever at gaslighting you know, and so they will yeah. deliberately highlight sort of trivial stories to get everybody, oh, I can't believe they're complaining about that, when there's, there is still massive and deep abuses of, of power that, that, that run through. So, you know, it's like we, lots of businesses talk about diversity and inclusion, but the numbers aren't shifting to the degree that they should shift. I mean, I talk about funding for women people talk about the fact that more female founders should get funded and yet the numbers went down last year so you know it, there's there's a difference between talking about something and ticking a box and and the appearance of of something and actually making deep meaningful changes and the things for me is it's all it all comes down instead of you know these dysfunctional toxic relationships it's all about emotional intimacy but true emotional intimacy where we all do treat each other with respect and as equals in the workforce because that way you know these kind of behaviors I, I think wouldn't emerge if you've got a really strong team dynamic for instance and somebody comes in and tries to be abusive of one member of that team, the rest of the team will step up and protect their group dynamic. But a lot of businesses are so disconnected and dysfunctional and, and aren't working on the sort of basic group psychology within that organisation, and it allows for these kind of behaviours to occur. And I think they absolutely are. St- I mean, I, I know they are because I I talk to women every day that are still suffering with misogyny or sexism or, and you know, and I know so many good men. So the only conclusion I can come to is that everybody is not connected enough to stand up as a group and reject the, the small percentage of people that are horrors of human beings and shouldn't be allowed into the group dynamic.
0: Oh, when you think about it, I've been a part of an anti-bullying organization for many years. And I mean, God, Sam, think of the today's world with social media. I mean, these kids don't even have to leave their rooms and they're bullied severely. And some of these yeah. bullies, have, you know, they just grow up and they go into the workforce as a bully. It's just their nature, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah. I you know. And I feel like, and I don't bad, know. I mean, you know,
1: and bad dynamics. I,
0: yeah. I mean, I think you and I are, are, are coming from a, a similar platform, too, from the diversity world, you know? And here we are two, you know, gay leaders, so to speak. Um, and I've managed to, and I feel like you're the same. I came out when I was 35 years old and I, I, I held back for as long as possible. And then I finally just said the hell of this, you know? And I found that my making myself openly gay, was very powerful for many people and for many of my friends. And I could walk into any business meeting and say, don't fuck with me. Listen, I've been around the map. I know what's going on. And first of all, I don't know what you're wearing, but you need to change that outfit, buddy, <laughs> because you look like an idiot. Um, and But no, I it, it became like, and my and it was my oldest brother out of the nine children. I said, Andy, you're a trailblazer. Keep it going. Don't worry. Don't be. But it was the world I grew up in, the country club world, like, For me to be the openly, only openly gay member of several clubs was a teeny bit nerve wracking. But do you know how many people came up to me to say, do you know how lucky you are, Andy, that you have come out, that you can just be yourself? I've been married for, I'm like, I'm like, I don't want to hear this. I just don't want to hear this. Like, but I won't lie. You know, many men would come up to me and say, you are so lucky. I'm not going to say any more, but I never had the chance to explore I got married young. I have these kids. I'm I'm in this situation. I will never, you know, I'm I'm not going to ever divert my my life at this point, but you are so lucky. And I think obviously I think you and I Sam we are lucky, right? We made a choice.
1: Oh, for um, sure. And look, to... I've never I've never really suffered any kind of bigotry. The the gay thing just didn't really touch the sides for me. I decided I was I was, I mean, for me, it was just that I decided I was dating a woman rather than dating a guy. Like I didn't give it a second. I I, I mean, I must have given it a second thought and walk, walked through it mentally many times before. But when I actually sort of started telling everybody, it was just like, this is what I'm doing. And and again, back to the, I don't really, I'm not asking for your approval. So this is the really important right. thing here. Uh you know, I don't give a fuck what you actually think. So I'm not asking for your approval. So I'm just telling you that this is this is the thing. If you've got an issue with it, that's your issue. And I think when you take that stance, you do um I, I generally find people step down. They 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 are less likely to come for you if they know that you are completely kind of comfortable and confident in, in your convictions because um because people that that have issues with this sort of thing tend to be bullies
0: yeah do you feel like it became like a driving force for me because i was picked on a fair amount when i was younger when i was a kid and you know maybe some people said i was a sissy you know my dad would say you're never going to make anything of your life and on and on and on and it became jet fuel for me unlike many people they're like oh my god i've always been picked on i'm like fuck that listen when I was able to, we were raised in a sailing family. Yeah, and everybody had a little sailboat and on and on. The second I was able to, I bought a 50-foot sailboat with a full-time captain. And I was like, yeah, you can fuck yourselves everybody." Those who said I wasn't going to make anything <laughs> of myself, forget it. I walk into the Mercedes dealership. I buy the biggest Mercedes they have. I, and I, I did overcompensate, and I know that looking back, that maybe it wasn't quite the right angle to take. Did I... Have to live in a multi-million dollar brownstone at 30 years old in Manhattan? Probably not. You know, should I have saved a little more money through the years? Probably. But (laughs) I, I have no regrets. But do you feel like, you know, being gay has been empowering for me now? Do you feel the same way?
1: Oh, for sure. And I've definitely got a bit of that. I'll show you. Like I, I'm not sure whether that's a gay thing or a belligerence thing or or whatever, but I was definitely of that. I always call my ridiculous, excessive years as my arsehole years. You know, driving yeah. around in Lamborghinis and and feeling like. Um, Billy big balls, or Billy or, or um, Bernadette big boobs, as we now um, say. We're not using the big balls anymore. We're, uh, <laughs> we're going we're to say, um, look at the boobs on that that person. They they, they definitely have the courage of their convictions. Um, I yeah, I've I've got that. But the thing is, Andy, I, I and I suspect you're the same. I wouldn't change any of it. You know, and that's even as a mother of two kids, and you know, I have been through periods of times where I've thought, "Oh my God, I could actually lose the lot now," but those adventures that we have and those experiences that we have, we have because we're prepared to put a hundred and ten percent into something, and and not, you know, not hold back, and so I'd rather I'd rather be me. I would rather be like that, and and get the the wonderful magical adventures that we get and take the shit with it, than, than live that, that safe, um, mediocre life. And if, if somebody wants to live a safe, mediocre life, fair play to them, you know, uh, good luck. I, you know, wish you no harm, no judgment, but it's just not, it's not for me.
0: And Sam, wife, two kids, big business, how do you balance? Where do you say no?
1: I say no all the time. I'm actually really good at no. I, I practiced it hard over the last few years. Um, you got So teach I have me. loads of time.
0: <laughs> okay, good. So it's dead, dead
1: simple. I, I start my day with like what's most important to me. And I manage my calendar accordingly. And so my kids, um, I like to exercise, you know, I like to spend time with my wife. Those things are like non-negotiable. I actually put them in my diary. So... If I've got, you know, if the kids are off on holidays, et cetera, I'll tend to carve out time during the day so I can spend more time with them because that's important. And then from a business viewpoint, I'll tend to kind of hone it down to the three to five real critical issues. So if a meeting is connected to one of those things, then that gets to go in next. And I always leave some space for fun stuff like meeting new friends um, and yeah. kind of having new experiences. And I, I, I think that for me works. And the other, so what you end up doing is saying no to all of the shit that doesn't matter. The, you know, the meetings that I don't need to be in, I would just go in for the sake of or the events that I don't really want to go to, but I feel obligated. None of that stuff makes it makes the cut. That, that doesn't get into the diary. So... <laughs>
0: I love it. And your diary. So do you handwrite anything anymore or is everything digital?
1: Um so I I keep a digital diary, I send emails. If I'm if there's a really complex issue I'm trying to deal with, I still like to write stuff down. Like I, my right. brain works differently if I'm jotting information down. So when when I've got a big challenge, I I mean nobody could make sense a, out of the what I've written on a piece of paper. I don't know why I bother, but it seems to help me with the process.
0: And I have yesterday, I'm planning a, uh, the Bluegrass Music Festival coming up in here in Charleston in March. And um, so I'm designing all these VIP areas and I'm trying to make them different and, uh, and experiential. Enough. So I have my pads and I'm sketching, you know, and everybody always walks in like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I'm listing all these little things out and I'm moving things on my pad. I sketched a little two little love seats and I'm at the, this I've got, blah, 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 and they're like, well, don't, why don't, why don't you do that on your computer? I'm like, Oh, that takes a lot of fun. <laughs> I but can't do that. I have all my, yeah, I can't do it. my little it's pages. It. I just go back and forth. Oh my word. Well, Sam. So Stella, when is it coming to the States?
1: Well, I've got to launch it in the UK first. Um, so okay. that will happen this year. If that all goes to plan and you know, is the magic that I think it will, um, then the year after will be Canada and then hopefully the States. So in the next two years, I would hope.
0: Okay, good. Um, yeah, because I'm standing by for that.
1: Yeah, you are You are going to be the main ad campaign. I've already got it. I've got it pictured in my head. But, but actually, um, I was chatting to somebody the other day. I think I have a speaking opportunity for you over in the UK when you come over. So... Um, I think there's lots and lots of stuff that we can do. And, yeah, I certainly don't need to um, manage my reputation by avoiding you until you're super successful, Andy, because I know you're (laughs) going to be super successful with whatever you do. And, actually, I do love a good reprobate. So um, we can Uh, can stand shoulder to shoulder together.
0: Oh, my God, Sam, I love that. Well, listen, we're going to wrap up. Before we wrap up, I always ask everybody, so, Sam, so – and you don't have to, you can think about it for a second, but like, uh, what holds most bold in your mind? When did you have to take a big one for the team?
1: When did I have to take a big one for the team? Oh,
0: It does. probably as... yeah no 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 (laughs) well then it wouldn't be a big one
1: um it was probably you know I first understood the concept as a teenager with my female friends when they fancied some lad and he had a really unattractive mate and it was like can you entertain the ugly mate so that I can get off with the good looking guy um, and I, I was always a team player. I would always, I would always do that. Probably because even at that point, maybe I was secretly gay, so it didn't make any difference whether they were good looking or not. It was like, yeah, whatever. Uh, if it, if it makes you happy, that'll work.
0: So you were the team player. You would say, okay, I'll go out with Robbie. I am the you best green woman ever. <laughs> oh my god, I love that. I love that. Well, Sam, I'm so thrilled that you came on fully prepared today, and. What's the best way for people to reach out to you or or follow you?
1: Um, I am prolific on LinkedIn, so I'm I'm not much of an there Instagram user. Um, but LinkedIn, sure. Sam White, Freedom Services, um, founder, and you just you know, reach out, chat to me. Um, as you know, I have no boundaries, yes. and I'm always up for a good <laughs> chat. So yeah, just just give us, give us a shout and let's have a conversation.
0: I love it. Well Sam, I hope you have an amazing weekend. Thank you for jumping on. Um, I'm looking forward you to great for having things. Me. I future. better get
1: my I better get my ass out to dinner so that my lovely wife is not annoyed with me, but it was really lovely catching up as ever and I'm hoping we can talk properly. Jenny's going to kill me if we don't do a call soon with all of us. Okay. So All right,
0: we have to do, yeah. yeah, with a little glass of wine for sure. That'll be great. Yes.
1: Yeah, yeah, well she's cool. I think we're coming off the health campaign. <laughs> So yeah. Definitely. Oh, okay.
0: You did dry. Did you do dry January and even dry February? Or no,
1: we did. Just, we're doing like an eight-week fitness program, but we're we're six uh, weeks in, and she's she's missing the wine. So I think we're gonna have to um, we're gonna have to compromise on that.
0: Okay, I like that. Good. Yeah, you only live once. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. You only. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, Sam. Have a great weekend. Thanks for being on Fully Prepared. This is a Podcast Now production.